Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices, Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Not many preachers have garnered as much love and respect from their hearers as Noel Scott. This sermon was preached at Camp Freedom in St. Petersburg, Florida in 2005. It's titled, Love Suffereth Long. I know you will enjoy this wonderful sermon. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on and on. love chapter of the Bible. All of you know where that one will be, don't you? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I don't know many people that read 1 Corinthians 13 and jump up and down and say, praise God, I don't see anywhere I could use any help. Now I know a few that's like that, but I'm concerned about them. But I believe that most of us feel like praying when we read this chapter, Lord, give me more of this love. The songwriter put it this way, love that covers the faults of a brother. Love that will cause us to love one another. Love, divine love, coming down from the Father. Lord, give me more of this love. And if you find you don't have any need for it, would you pray for me? I'm a candidate for a greater measure of this divine love operating in my heart. So let's read the 13 verses of this very familiar chapter. With your permission, I hope it won't be offensive to anyone I would like to change one word in the reading. I always like to read the word charity as love. For the original word here is indeed the strongest word in the Greek language for love. In fact, in its verb form, agapao, it appears 142 times in the New Testament. And 135 of those times, it's translated love. I don't know why it isn't in this chapter. In its noun form, it appears 116 times, and 86 of those times, it's translated love. So I don't believe I'm doing any injustice to the Word of God to read it that way. And if it should offend anyone, 
we'll open the altar after a while and see if we can get things all cleared up. All right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning the reading at verse number 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. In the original, it's I am a zero. Those don't add up very fast, do they? And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Then with verse 4, the apostle begins giving us a description of what this love is like. Love suffereth long and is kind. My good father-in-law used to say, if we're not kind, we're the wrong kind. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I thought someday I'd like to preach on that text. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Some things are cute in children that aren't all that cute in grown-ups. Maybe if I ever become a man, I'll try preaching on that text. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. May we bow our heads in just another moment of prayer. Father, we don't really feel like we have to ask you to come. We believe that you are present, and we thank you that you're here tonight. Lord, as we fellowship around thy word for a little time this evening,
we ask that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the book to be written, you'll inspire it to be preached and to be received into our hearts. Yea, Lord, give all of us an ear to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We ask it for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. I guess I should warn you. It would take a long time to really preach a complete exposition of this wonderful chapter. A few years ago, Sister Scott and I were asked to go to Japan to speak to a, a mission conference over there. And, and as I was praying on that long trans-Pacific flight, I felt like the Lord laid it on my heart to speak at least once from this chapter. It ended up, I spoke every day service from this chapter. And friend, I like it when the Holy Spirit digs about me. I wouldn't want to pay taxes on preaching that doesn't speak to my soul and doesn't give me guidance and correction and leads me in the way the Spirit wants me to walk. And I believe God placed this chapter. Actually, I think it's significant that he placed it in the book to the Corinthians rather than, say, the book to the Colossians or the Philippians or the Ephesians. And if you would want to know why I think that's significant, because the church at Ephesus, or pardon me, at Corinth had some problems in it. Now, probably churches in Florida and Pennsylvania and Michigan don't have problems. But problems existed in the church at Corinth. And I believe if we deal with our problems, whether they are church problems or home problems or personal problems, if we deal with them in any other manner but in a spirit of love, we make those problems worse instead of better. And so in the midst of the jangling of confusion about gifts and tongues and other things, Paul said, I want to show you something that's better than this gift, that gift, or the other gift, or all the gifts put together. Yet show I thee a more excellent way. And he begins expounding on divine love. You know, it's a rather difficult thing as individuals and even as church movements to keep a proper balance in all things. We can just get lopsided one way or the other without half trying. Nobody said amen on that, but that was good preaching, Brother Scott. Just stay right in there. And I wanted, the reason I prefaced using that statement, if some groups overemphasize the gifts, I believe we holiness people tend to underemphasize the gifts. There really are New Testament
Testament scriptural gifts that are available to God's people. I believe there's a scriptural gift of tongues. I have never personally observed its functioning. But I've got some mighty close friends that have. I believe someone told me recently, Sister Swartz over there in Taiwan was gifted to speak in fluent Taiwanese or Chinese, whatever it is, and got a message to someone that couldn't have gotten it otherwise. I had a good preacher friend. He was holding a revival in southern Missouri, Brother Richard Payne. Attending that revival was a young war bride that had married an American serviceman. She was from Germany, understood very little English. She was staying with her mother-in-law while her husband finished his tour of duty. And she was attending that revival with her mother-in-law. One night, her soul was marvelously moved upon and she went to the altar and was gloriously saved. After they got home from the service, she said to her mother-in-law, I didn't know Reverend Payne knew German." And her mother-in-law said, no, as far as I know, he doesn't. <laughs> but the young bride said, oh, but he does. For the whole message tonight was in high German. I'm sure if the Holy Ghost gave it, it would be high German. And she said, I heard and I understood. Friend, I can believe in something like that. The same God that stopped the sun over one valley and the moon over another valley to give Joshua time to win a battle wouldn't be any problem at all either to give a preacher the gift of speaking in another language or on the other hand, give a listener the ability to interpret. Whichever it was, I don't know. But I can believe it has the ring of truth about it. Something like that. But Paul said, I want to talk to you about something that's better. He said, if I could speak in all the tongues of men and of angels, but I lacked love, I'd be like a noisy gong, a tinkling cymbal. He lists other gifts, had the gift of prophecy. Though I had all knowledge, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and have all faith so I could remove mountains, and the Lord knows all of us could use more of those. I'd like to have a fellow come around that understands all mysteries. I'd have a few questions. I'd want to ask him. We find we need more faith in a lot of different occasions. So it's greater than all of those gifts. And then even giving our body to be burned and dying a martyr. He said, if I didn't do it because my heart was a heart of love, it would profit me nothing. On the ledger cards of heaven, it wouldn't add anything to the credit column of my account. We could spend time with that, but that isn't what I wanted to do tonight. I wanted to get down to this area that begins with verse number four that deals with the characteristics
or the qualities or the properties or the virtues of divine love. And if we read the scripture carefully, we find that there are 14 qualities of divine love listed. Some say 15. It depends on how you divide the phrases or the clauses. And of these 14, seven of them are positive, telling us things that love does. And seven of them are negative, telling us things that love doesn't do. And I mentioned a while ago about the difficulty of keeping balance. Oh, consistency. What a jewel, you know, if we can be balanced. For I find some people's religion is about all negatives. It's what they don't do, what they don't practice. And there better be some negatives. If the negatives aren't there, if you don't think they're important, Try unhooking the negative post on your car battery in the morning. See how much fire you get to your engine. And my observation is when people unhook the negative post of old time religion, they lose the fire. The fire goes out. And then there's another group that says, let's be positive. Forget about those negatives. Let's be positive. But brother, we better have some positive with the old time religion to some things we do because we know Jesus Christ. Not everybody said amen on that one either, but that was good preaching too. May have to do my own amen here tonight. But I want to look and really I think probably I'll just have time to look at one of these qualities of divine love. I don't know how you other preachers are finding it, but I find people don't listen fast enough. Have you noticed that, brethren? <laughs> I don't get finished. But I don't like to go very fast in this chapter because I think what I have here in this chapter, what we have here in this chapter, is a description of Jesus a description of Christ. In fact, you could, I've already said you could take out the word charity and put love in there, but you could take love out and put Jesus there and read it again. It makes perfect sense. Let me just illustrate that by reading it. Verse four, Jesus suffered long and was kind. That would be right, wouldn't it? Jesus never envied. Jesus never vaunted himself. Jesus was never puffed up. Jesus never behaved himself unseemly. Jesus never sought his own. Jesus was never easily provoked. Jesus never thought evil. Would you agree with me? It's a description 
of Jesus. And when we're praying for more of this love, we're praying for a greater likeness to Jesus. None of us, I don't believe, I don't believe any of us here tonight would want to stand up and profess, I'm exactly like Jesus. Would we? Anyone want to profess that? We pray to be, don't we? We long to be. We desire to be. But I think most of us know there's still some warts and some bumps and some eccentricities and some quirks. He's still working on me. I don't want him to quit. I don't want him to give up on me. But I want to look at the standard that is upheld in this chapter. You know, we're living in a day when a lot of people don't want the standard upheld. I read a story or heard someone give a story a lot of years ago about a battle that took place in an area of the Crimea that was a part of the Soviet Union many years ago, what later became a part of the Soviet Union. And a strange thing happened in a battle. Some way the flag bearers, as, they were, as the infantry was trying to take a mountain, the flag bearers got way ahead of the infantry and got way up the mountain. But the flag bearers were having a difficult time taking the mountain and it actually looked like they wouldn't be able to take the mountain. And a cry went up to the flag bearers, bring the colors back down, bring the colors back down. But when the captain heard it, he shouted back and said, no, bring the army up to the colors. What a lot of people would say, bring the standards down. The master of our salvation is saying, no, bring the church, bring the church up the mountain, up to the standards. That's my desire tonight. Oh, to be like thee. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness. Come in thy fullness. Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. A description of Jesus. Let's look at this first characteristic that's listed. Love suffereth long and is kind while it suffers. Beloved, it's not what we are when people are bragging on us, lauding our name to the sky, saying what wonderful people we are. That's not what really tells the story. But it's what we are when the pressure's on. When there's misunderstanding. When false accusations are flying. And people are believing it. It's what we are when the pressure is on. That's 
when the likeness of Jesus ought to be seen in me and seen in you. Most all of us can handle a little praise. I'm not sure how much. We can kind of keep sweet. People are bragging on us. But I want the kind that works. The misunderstanding is abroad. I really thought Brother Scott was so... He is. But I want to keep sweet when people misunderstand. It suffers long and is kind. Just a little bit of grammar here tonight. Would that be all right? In this clause, love suffereth long and is kind. The first part of the expression is passive. In nature, passive. Something is being done to you. Suffers long. It's passive. The second part is active. Something you do while you are suffering. I like to look at Jesus as my pattern. It's how we're to react when we're suffering. And I like to begin by asking, did Jesus know who would betray him? Do you think he did? The Bible very clearly says, doesn't it? And Jesus knowing who would betray him. But I ask a second question. Did Jesus treat Judas any differently? that he did the other apostles. Someone saying, no, sir. How do we know that? Because finally when Jesus made the announcement, one of you shall betray me, nobody had any idea who it was. Now that would have been hard on me and it might have been hard on you had it been me that was going to suffer that betrayal and I knew who was going to do it. I would probably have had to have told at least the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Would you have? You know, some things are easier to bear if you can just have some human empathy, if not sympathy. But Jesus didn't tell anybody. And I believe there's a little lesson here. I believe there's some things that ought not to be told, even if it's the truth. I want to just relate briefly to one other verse down here, that quartet of divine graces that is found in verse 7, believeth all things, pardon me, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. I just want to look at that one, beareth all things. What does that word bear mean? Does it mean endure? We sometimes use the word, we bear this, we endure this, but that's not the meaning here. He uses the word endure later in the same verse. 
But the word beareth here comes from an old English word that means to put a roof over. It means to hide from the light of the sun. Or to put it in our vernacular, it means to keep confidential. And I repeat now, some things ought not to be told, even if it's the truth. How much further up the road the church would be if some things had just had a roof put over them and not told and discussed and fanning the flame. Again, I didn't hear many amens, but uh, that's good preaching too. You know, I often like to tell this. I've got four brothers. Two bro four brothers in the flesh. Two are older than I. Two are younger than I. Some of those brothers of mine have some faults. Fortunately, I escaped without any, you know. <laughs> My wife's not here tonight. She'll be here later. So I'll just have to preach this one tonight. But you know what? I'm not going to be talking about the faults of my brothers while I'm here. You know why? They're my brother. I believe that's the way it ought to work in the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, our brothers, and it could be even some sisters, would have some faults. But we're not going to talk about them. We're just going to build a roof over. We're not going to talk about things just because they're true, but let them meet the other criteria. Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, if it meets all of those, you can, you can tell all that you want to, but make sure it meets all the criteria, not just is it true. Now, let's get back to that verse. It suffers long and is kind. I want the kind of religion that works, as I mentioned a while ago, while the pressure is on. Jesus never told anybody that what Judas would do. He just kept it confidential. The illustration that comes to my mind from personal experience along this line, suffers long and is kind. Some of you know that Sister Scott and I, for 36 years, worked in Bible schools, Bible colleges, and I'd always felt sometime he'd release us from that work so we could go full-time in evangelism, which is what I love to do the most. But one of the great privileges, if you are president of a school, you sometimes have the privilege of dealing with disciplinary problems. Did any of you know that sometimes there's problems around Bible schools? I'm sure Brother Pierpoint never knew that, but I can let him know tonight. But I remember on one occasion at one of the schools where we were working, it's not the one you're thinking about. It's the other one. <laughs> there was a very serious, I mean very serious problem that developed. Five boys got into serious trouble. 
And it was such a serious infraction of the rules that I didn't feel like the administration should make the decision as to what ought to be done. So I called the executive board in to make the decision. Sometimes you like to share the glory. And the board took the matter into consideration. And if I recall right, it's been a lot of years ago now, I believe five boys were dismissed from school. They couldn't continue in school that year. And I was the one that had the privilege of conveying that word. I want to tell you, friend, it's not the way to win friends and influence people. And what made it more complicated, two of those boys were children of staff members that was on the faculty and staff. That does really complicate it. But I left one family, one family to last. Would any of you have any reason or any idea why I picked one certain family to lead to last? I feared, Brother A.G., Brother Ritchie, I feared there would be an explosion. You know, there's some people you can talk to problem to about problems and you can reason with them. And even people that you can normally reason with until you touch their child. And even very reasonable people suddenly are harder to deal with. I don't know that it's possible for us to be objective when it comes to our own. We ought to love them more than anyone else and care. That's part of it. So I'm not finding fault with them in that. But I didn't think that the lady was sanctified and I dreaded to go to her. And I wasn't wrong. There was an explosion. And there was tremendous kickback and blame pointed my I was the one that was the bad fellow, not the ones that broke the rules. And I want to tell you, I went home that night a broken-hearted man. I don't lose friends easily. And I spent a sleepless night but along about three o'clock in the morning, felt like the Lord began to speak to me and show me what to do. I was suffering. That's passive. That was something done to me. But the rest of this verse and is kind. And in the original, it means bestows benefits. You look for some way to do good to the one that's injured you. I felt like the Lord spoke to me, showed me what to do. 
So the next day, Sister Scott and I went to the grocery store. We bought four very large bags of groceries. Things that we thought this family could use and would benefit from. And we appeared on their doorstep again. Betty's arms were filled. My arms were filled. I didn't even have a hand to knock with, so I just kind of tapped on the door with my foot. Till the lady came to the door and saw who it was. I don't think she wanted us to come in, but what else could she do? Here we were, our arms loaded down with large bags of groceries. And when she opened the door, we went in and into the kitchen and set some of the bags down on the cabinet and some on the floor and, and visited for a time. And Brother Daniel, I confess, it was tense. It wasn't the warmest visit we had ever had in our life. But I knew I was obeying God. I was suffering, but I wanted to be kind. I wanted to bestow benefits. Now I want to jump ahead more than a year. Sister Scott and I was in a revival meeting in Corden, Indiana, southern Indiana. We got a call. This family, husband, wife, that boy, and the rest of the family were in Louisville just 50 miles away, 35, 50 miles. And the, the husband had had a serious heart attack. Was going to have to have immediate surgery. And they were calling. They wanted us to come. And I'll never forget walking into that waiting room. There was that boy that we had to dismiss from school. But he ran to us, threw his arms around us, and wept on our shoulders. Friend, I believe old-time religion works in the time of testing. And those people are some of our closest friends today. I want the kind of love that works under pressure. I want to be like Jesus. Oh, to be like thee. Oh, to be like thee. Blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness. Come in thy fullness. Stamp thine own image deep on Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com.
This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. I don't want to